Welcome to Park Church. We are glad to see you here this morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I am a pastor here on staff. We are told in preaching school, there's no such thing as preaching school, we're told in preaching school uh, not to give disclaimers about a sermon. I'm going to give you a number of disclaimers. Um, I, I saw Avengers three times in the last three days. It's about nine to ten hours in the same movie theater. Don't worry, it's a spoiler-free zone. I, I respect you too much to say anything, but I did see it about three times, so I am both riding the high of a life-changing movie, right? I've seen it three times. It's awesome every time. Um, I also made the mistake, though, of seeing it last night, and it was a showing about 8 o'clock, which means I didn't get home until about midnight last night, which means I didn't go to bed until about 1230, because I was too excited to actually just go to sleep, and uh, I'm quite tired this morning, so I have my coffee here. If I get loopy, um, feel free to rein me back in, right? Um, I was so tired that I was going to the bathroom earlier, and I realized I put my underwear on inside out. <laughs> Preaching school also tells you don't talk about your underwear in the first 30 seconds of a sermon, but here we are. Uh, welcome to Park Church. <laughs> the last four weeks, we have been doing a series called Four Days That Changed the world. And what we've been doing is talking about the last four days of Jesus' life and then his resurrection, right? That Thursday, the Friday he died, that Saturday, and then Sunday, Easter Sunday. We talked about that last week. This morning, we're going to kind of do an add-on to that. It's just called One More Day That Changed the World. And we're not talking about the Monday after Easter. That's kind of a nondescript day. The day we are talking about is a day called Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost, if you have never heard of it, don't know what that is. Um, Pentecost originally was a Jewish celebration that happened just like Passover every year for over a thousand years. This celebration happened every year and happened right in the middle of Jerusalem. And what Pentecost was, it was basically a harvest festival. Um, it was a, you know, it was a big food festival. It was God's people's, Jewish people's, their opportunity to come together in Jerusalem from around the world and to celebrate, to give thanks to God for the way that God provides for them, specifically through food. The way that God um, gives them a harvest, right? Gives them grain that they need to make bread and to be able to eat. It was a celebration and a way for them to give thanks that God gives them nourishment, that God provides sustenance, that God gives food for them. And so every year they did that. Um, it's called Pentecost because it's seven weeks. It's also called the Festival of Weeks, the Feast of Weeks. It's seven weeks after the very first grain harvest. And seven weeks, seven days a week, seven times seven is 49, plus one is 50. It's the day after that. So 50. It's 50 days after the first grain harvest. And penta, pent meaning Five, right? Five-sided agon, pentagon, right? So it's Pentecost. It's 50 days after the very first grain harvest, which is also after um, Passover. That's why it's called that. For us, it's not a day that changed the world because it was a food festival, a harvest festival, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. For us, it's a day that has changed the world because on the very first Pentecost, after Easter, about 50 days after Easter, on that very first Pentecost, this was the day that God finally poured his spirit out onto Jesus' followers in a way that had never been done before. This was the day that God poured his spirit out onto those followers, and those followers who were from all over the world went back out into the world, 
and spread this message, and you are here this morning because of that first Pentecost. If you have a faith, that faith is because of what happened on this day 2,000 years ago. Uh, this church wouldn't exist. No church would exist. We wouldn't be here if not for that very first Pentecost. And so I want to read a little bit about what happened on that very first Pentecost. Um, it comes in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, not the Acts like Thor wields. Um, A-C-T-S, it's the Acts of the Apostles. This is what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection. This was the earliest church. These were the earliest Jesus followers. It's the recording of that Jesus movement written by a man named Luke. Luke wrote um, a gospel about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and he also wrote volume two called Acts. And in the second chapter of his book of Acts about what happened in the church, this is the way he starts it. He says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. What he means here is uh, the Jesus followers were all gathered together in Jerusalem. They were all in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So on that very first day, um, these Jesus followers, there was more than 12 of them, but less than, I don't know, 100. They were all kind of gathered there in Jerusalem. And on that day, these tongues of fire, these, this, this piece of flame, whatever it was, rested on them. This was the Holy Spirit being poured out onto them. Um, this was in the middle of Jerusalem. This was loud. This violent wind was something people would have noticed. Outside of that room, there were Jewish people from all around the world who had gathered to come for this harvest festival. They were all there. And Luke tells us people from as far away as Egypt, people from as far away as Libya, Rome, Mesopotamia. I mean, if you were a Jewish person around the world, there was a good chance you were there in Jerusalem on that day to hear this. And what they heard was these Jesus followers newly, you know, given the Holy Spirit, speaking in different languages. So if you were Egyptian, you were there, and you heard one of them speaking in Egyptian, right? If you were um, from Libya and you were there, you heard them speaking in Libya-ese. I don't know what that is. Um, so they were there. And then listen to how uh, Luke continues. Actually, uh, all these people think what's happening is that these Jesus followers have gotten into the good wine. They think that they're drunk, because that's what this sounds like in the middle of, uh, you know, this noise. And Peter, who was the leader of the Jesus followers, he gets up and he says to them, he reassures them, you know, he's talking to the people, uh, they're not drunk, it's nine in the morning. That's not what's happened here. Instead, here is what happened. And he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel. He said, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And that's what's happening here on Pentecost. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And then Peter turns to the Jewish people who are not the Jesus followers. He turns to them, um, many of whom were there just 50, 60, 70 days earlier, two months, three months, four months, six months, a year earlier, there when Jesus was doing his teaching right? They were there. Maybe they were there when Jesus was crucified. Maybe they heard Jesus teach. Maybe they were healed by Jesus. Maybe they had family members healed by Jesus. They were there. They knew who Jesus was. 
He says to them, you that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside of the law. The Jewish people gave him to the Romans to be crucified. But God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then he continues, This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you both see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus who you crucified. The Jewish brothers and sisters who were there hear this message and they are struck by it. Luke says that they are cut to the heart and they say to Peter, Peter, what should we do? And Peter responds, repent, which means turn around, stop doing what you were doing, do something different, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and so that you will receive the same gift, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And that day, out of the 12 to 100 Jesus followers, 3,000 more were added to those numbers on that day. And those 3,000 people, whether they lived in Jerusalem or whether they lived in Libya, Egypt, or Rome, they went back out into their world, and they shared this good news with those who didn't know it. And because of that, in 2,000 years' time, you are sitting in this seat today. That's why Pentecost truly is a day that changed the world. That's why Pentecost matters. That's why it's important. The thing I want to share with you this morning, however, um, is why it had to be like this. Why was it that God had to pour his spirit out like this? Why was it like this? And why does it matter for us today? What does this mean for us in our world? And to do that, I want to talk about uh, actually something I mentioned very briefly last week. On Easter, if you were here, it's okay if you weren't. Um, we talked about one of the resurrection appearances that was from the Gospel of John. And in this appearance, um, Mary is outside of the tomb. Do you remember what Mary is doing? Mary Magdalene, she's out there weeping. She's just weeping outside of that tomb on that first Easter morning. She didn't know that Jesus had been raised from the dead. All she knows is that she had lost the person in whom she had put um, all of her trust, all of her faith, all of her hope, all of her expectations. She had lost the person whom she loves, and she's weeping. And now his body was no longer in the tomb. Someone had stolen it or worse, and she doesn't know what to do. So she's stuck there weeping. Jesus comes to her. He appears to her. She doesn't recognize him. Jesus calls out her name, Mary. And as soon as her name in his voice hits her lips, it opens her ears, opens her heart, opens her eyes. She recognizes him. Mary runs to Jesus, throws her arms around him, and holds on to him tightly. And do you remember what uh, Jesus said to Mary? I said I would talk about it this week, and I'm a man of my word sometimes. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. 
because I have not yet ascended to the Father. And it's always, it's always kind of struck me as a strange thing for Jesus to say, because we figure that Jesus would want to say, like, yeah, hold on to me. Because we always talk, I mean, we actually just sung in that last song, um, holding your hand, clinging to grace, right? We talk about clinging to Jesus, about fixing our eyes on Jesus, about putting all of ourselves into Jesus, to holding on to him tightly. I always find it strange that Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me. Don't do that. Because it makes sense that we want to hold on to the things that we love, right? We don't want to let go of the things that we love. It's why for a lot of us, we remember that first day our children went to like their first day of school, right? How hard it was to let them go, right? They're all dressed nicely. They have their hair combed and new shoes and new backpack. We're taking photos, right? The kids are okay. Meanwhile, the parents are crying, right? Because what that means is you have to let them go. And you know what school is, right? It's their, it's their first step into the real world. And the real world is hard, and you know that. And it's hard to let them go, right? It's why um, one of the things I like most about being able to marry people is seeing fathers walk their daughter down the aisle, right? They have this tight grip on their arm, right? And I get to be the person who sits here and watches them as the father gives away his precious angel-faced daughter to this chump in a rented tuxedo, right? And you see they're squinting, you know. You see these father's mouth things like, I'll get you. Um, it's hard to give away what you love, right? It's hard to do that. And it's understandable why Mary had a hard time um, letting go of Jesus, why, why he said to her, don't hold on to me so tightly. For us, though, I think what Jesus warns Mary about here, it's a good, it's a good warning. It's a cautionary tale for us um, as Jesus followers, but as a church. Because one of the things that we can be guilty of as individuals, but also as a church and as the church, and we as part church are just as guilty of this as any other church, we could be guilty of trying to hold on to Jesus too tightly. And what I mean by that is we can be guilty of trying to hold on to Jesus as if we don't want to let him go so that other people can have him. Or as if we hold on to him too, too tightly and don't want to share him with the world around as if there's not enough of Jesus to go around, right? Or as if if we let go, there's not going to be enough for us. And sometimes this manifests itself um, when Christians think that they have exclusive, like the, they have found the truth. It's the exclusive truth. They have found Jesus. They want to hold him tight. And they know that um, if these people over here get word of Jesus, they're going to come with their ideas and they're going to pollute our ideas and we have to push them away. So we have to hold on to Jesus even tighter. We can't be open to that. We have to hold on to him even tighter. For a lot of us, though, it actually becomes something um, that's most uh, damaging, but also most common in the way that we as Jesus followers tend to simply enjoy Jesus. We hold on to him tightly because we love him and because we enjoy him, just like Mary did here, right? Um, because it's good to be a Jesus follower. I don't know if you ever thought about this in those terms, but it's good to know Jesus. Because, like, listen to this. We know who God is. We get to enjoy God. We get to experience God in a way that other people don't get to enjoy God, get to experience God. And that's awesome. Um, we know what the cross means. We know about forgiveness. And so when we sin, which we sin just like anyone else, when we sin, we know that there is forgiveness in the blood of the cross. We know that. We don't have to wallow in our guilt. We don't have to be dragged down by that. We know that. It's, it's, it's enjoyable to follow Christ. It's, it's, 
It's freeing. We know God's mercy. We know God's grace. We know God's kindness. Um, Not only do we know that God loves us, but we know what it's like to feel loved by God, to experience that. It is enjoyable to be a Jesus follower. We also know the goodness of what it means to follow Jesus with other Jesus followers. We have friends. We have fellowship in, in this very community. There are people here who would give their left arm um, to help you. There are people here who would sacrifice what they could uh, to help you, to bear your burdens, to make your life better. Don't take that for granted. A lot of people in this world do not have access to the sort of loving relationships that we do. And it's good to be a Jesus follower. It's very easy for us to get so wrapped up in how good it is, how enjoyable it is to follow Jesus, how enjoyable it is to have the benefits of Christ, that we run the risk of confusing that, enjoying those benefits for all of faith itself. We run the risk of making it so that our faith is just about what we get, what we enjoy, And when we do that, we forget that our faith is actually not just for us, but it is for the world around us. Because our faith is meant to be shared with those around us. And you know that you've entered a church where this is a problem when you walk in and people look at you like, what are you doing here? Right? This is for us. This isn't for you. Or you know this is a problem when you walk into a church and um, there's language that's being used that you as an outsider don't know. And it's, it's... Insiders know it, and insiders stay insiders, and outsiders stay outsiders. If this feels kind of like a, what a country club or what like that VIP access club on like United Terminal, like what that feels like, that's what that's what that's what we run the risk of becoming. Now, that's not what Mary is exactly doing here, but the warning that Jesus gives, it's a warning for all of us. The thing is though, we are meant to enjoy Jesus, enjoy following Jesus, to hold him tightly. Jesus is saying here, he's saying, just not yet. There's something else that's coming. There's something else that has to happen first. And that's what we're getting to uh, this morning. And so to get there, I want to go even backwards, even further. We started with Pentecost, which is 50 days or so after Easter. We, we, We went backwards to Easter. Now we're going backwards again. We're going backwards towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, it's sort of a strange chapter. It's very early into his ministry, into his life. Um, Jesus is, uh, it starts by him multiplying food, uh, multiplying loaves and fish to feed people. There are people who are listening to him all day. They're hungry. There's nothing for them to eat. And so he uh, takes five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies it so that all 5,000 people have enough food uh, to eat, right? And uh, because it was just men they counted back then, it was probably more like 15,000 people with all the women and children who were there. Jesus provides for those people. Uh, They get into a boat. Jesus walks on water. We'll skip over that. They get to land. They get to land, and the crowd of people who were fed, they find Jesus because they want more. They're not done with that yet. They want more. And Jesus knows this, and he says to them, "Um, you guys are looking for me because you want food, right? That's what you want. You want food that's going to make you full again. If you knew who you were talking to, if you knew who you were um, asking this from, I could give you bread that's going to make it so that you never go hungry and never go thirsty again. I could give you bread that's going to make it so that you're filled not just for one day, but that you're filled for all days. You're filled for eternal life. I could give you food that literally would give you life. 
And they say to him, um, well, can you give us a sign so that we could get this? And Jesus is like, well, I just, I just did the loaves and the fish. You guys, you guys didn't quite catch that, right? And they start saying, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But back in the day, um, God gave us manna, right? 1,500 years earlier, uh, after the Exodus, you know, God frees his people. They have to walk through the wilderness forever. And there's no food in the desert. There's no food. There's no drink. The, the Israelites, God's people, are going to starve to death if God doesn't give them food. And God provides food for them. He gives them bread from heaven. It's called manna. And this is the food that they need to live. It gives them the nourishments, the sustenance. It literally gives God's people life. Jesus says to them, if you knew who you were asking, you could ask for that bread. Bread from heaven that would give you life. Life forever. And then they're like, yes, that's what we want. Give us that bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am that bread from heaven. I am what you need. And then he says, the way that you get it, and this is weird, the way that you get it is you have to eat me. You have to eat me. You have to chew my flesh, and you have to drink my blood. And that's super weird. It's weird today, and it was weird then too. And the people thought it was super weird. And a lot of people started walking away. A lot of people started walking away. Even people who were Jesus' followers, look at what they had to say. When many of them, uh, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept this, right? One minute we're talking about fish and bread. The next minute you're telling us to eat you. What's going on? Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to him, does this offend you? And Jesus, and they're like, well, of course it offends us. We are not cannibals. We don't do that. We have never done that. And Jesus then says something that connects this with what he said on Easter to Mary. He said, okay, if that offends you, if that offends you, what about this instead? What if, what if, rather than you literally having to eat my flesh and drink my blood, what if instead, what if you were to see the Son of Man, me? What if you were to see me, Jesus, ascending to where he was before? What if you were to see me going back up to heaven where I was before? What if I left you and I told you, you didn't have to literally eat my flesh and drink my blood, but instead, once I ascend, I am going to send something in my place. I'm going to send something in my place that in a way is even better than I am. Because as flesh and blood, I can only be in one place at one time. But what I'm going to send can be in every place in every time. If I stay in flesh and blood, I can be available to one person or to one group of people in one place at one time. If I go away, I could be available to every person in every time in every place. And what if I tell you it's not just a thing I'm sending you, but it's actually me in a different form, in spirit. I'm going to send my spirit, God's Holy Spirit, onto you. And then he says something that feels totally out of place. He says, the flesh is useless, which what he means by that is the flesh can only be in one place at one time. And then he says something totally out of place. It is the spirit that gives life. It is the spirit that gives life. Just like the food that we eat gives us nourishment, gives us life, and the manna in the wilderness gave life to God's people, it is the spirit 
my spirit that gives life. So we don't literally eat Jesus' flesh and blood. Instead, there will be a time where I will pour out my spirit upon your flesh. And that spirit, I will give you life. I will sustain you. I will power you. I will energize you. I will renew you. I will strengthen you. I will give you the nourishment that you need. I will give you life in this spirit. Just like at that Pentecost, they celebrated the way that God provided life for them through food. For us in this Pentecost, we celebrate the way that God gave his spirit to provide us with life, to provide us with food. The reason that Mary on Easter morning couldn't hold on to Jesus is because if she held on to him, it would have meant that Jesus would only be available at one place in one time. It would have been Mary holding on to Jesus all for herself, hoarding him so that no one else could get him. And Jesus had bigger plans in mind. God had bigger plans in mind, not just for one person in one place or one group of people to be able to hold on to him, but for every person in every place across the globe to be able to hold on to him. And so Jesus needed to go away. He needed to ascend back to heaven so that the spirit of God could be unleashed on this world. So that the spirit could be unleashed because what God wants is not just life for one person or not just life for one group of people in one place, but what God wants is life for the world. And what God has in mind, made possible by Jesus, set in motion by his departure, is God's presence in a different way, in a worldwide way, accessible to everyone who believes in him. And where it connects for us is it is the work of his followers to bring this presence out, out into all the world. Not to hold on to for ourselves. Not to just enjoy for our own sake, as if there's not enough spirit to go around. But to go out and to share and to bring him to people who don't have him yet. This is what the church is that was born on Pentecost. This is what happened on that day that changed the world. A worldwide movement of Jesus followers powered by the Spirit who were to go and bring him to more and more people. And in the very first chapter of the book of Acts, we're jumping now back to Acts. This is a little confusing, the timeline here. Um, this is what the risen Jesus says. Jesus is risen. He's not yet ascended. This is before Pentecost. He says, talking about Pentecost, but you will receive power. You will receive power that word for power is the word dunamis. It means, it's where we get our word dynamite from. You will receive the dynamite that, that God is giving you when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, talking about Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he is lifted up out of their sights, and he makes room for his spirit to come um, about a week later. Jesus says that you will receive power and what that power does is makes us into his witnesses. It makes us into his witnesses. When you think for a moment about what a witness is, think about like a court scene, right? A witness is someone who has seen something, experienced something, and so they can tell others about it, right? An eyewitness saw it happen and can share that testimony with others, right? An expert witness knows so much about something that when he's brought up on stand, he is trusted for his expert knowledge of, 
of that person, right? A character witness is someone who knows the character of someone so well that when they're put up on the stand, when they talk about him or her, they are trusted to know the character of that person, right? To be a witness is to know Jesus, to know, to experience Jesus so that we can share him with others. It's to know, but it's also to share. And it's the spirit that gives us that power. So to know on the one hand, right, we can't see Jesus any longer. We can't hear Jesus any longer because he's not flesh and blood. So what we need is the spirit to show us, even though we can't see, to allow us to hear, even though we can't hear. It's the spirit who does the work inside of us to actually give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, right? It's, it's, it's the spirit who does this in us. For those of us who are Jesus followers, we know this firsthand because he has done this for us. He has um, lifted the veil from our eyes like he did on uh, Easter morning with Mary, right? He's lifted the veil from our eyes so that we can see Jesus. We can believe in him. We can trust in him. For those of us uh, who have experienced this, we know how wonderful it is. For a lot of us, though, maybe we need more of that. Maybe we need to experience more of that. For some of you here, maybe you never have experienced that before in your life. And what you would love is for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and actually make that change for you. Um, I wish I could give you a formula, give you a pill to take to like get the Holy Spirit, right? But the Spirit doesn't work that way. The Spirit is sort of unpredictable. He blows where he wants to. Um, If we were to give you a kind of formula, though, the best I could do is the same formula that those 3,000 people had on the day of Pentecost. What they did, if you think about it, was they listened to the witness of someone who followed Jesus, right? They listened to those, to those witnesses. That's, that's, that's what they did. And so that's why we kind of do church the way we do. We want you to come here to be able to listen to the witness of other people, we want you to hear other people's witness. It's why we open scripture like we do. And we want you to read scripture for yourself, to open the Bible and see it with your own eyes and hear it. Because what scripture really is when it comes down to it is a witness to who Jesus is. That's what it is. And that's why we read it. That's why we talk about it. That's why we open it, right? Um, it's why we want to put you in groups together. Because it's hard to do this on your own. It's much easier to do it together. Because what those groups are, those community groups, are opportunities for us to be with other witnesses who can help us hear what Jesus is saying or to hear what Jesus is doing in their lives. That's why we want to put you together in those groups. Um, We want you to come back in the future weeks. Actually, next week we're going to talk again about the Spirit, about what the Spirit produces in us, which is really exciting. But after that, we're going to talk about what we need to know to have this kind of faith. We want you to come back um, and be a part of that. If you're someone who is brand new to faith or you're returning or maybe you just you just need your faith kind of restarted jump started it's why we put that rooted group together because we want you to um, come together and be a part of that because it's a great opportunity for you to kind of explore how the spirit might come into your life might open you up might change you and might um, lead you to a kind of vibrant faith that is really rooted and grounded in who christ is that's all um, coming to know Jesus to be his witness. But on the other hand, there's also the aspect of sharing Jesus. And this is the one where we have a hard time with. And because we think it's just about like telling people about Jesus, uh, everyone we meet, we have to do this. And that's not really what it means to be his witnesses. Um, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. 
you will become something that you're not right now. So with your entire life, with your actions, with your inactions, with your words, with your decisions, with your attitudes, your entire life will tell the story of what Jesus has done, right? Your entire life will do that. And if you don't think that you're someone who can do that, either you actually haven't received the Spirit and you should come to Rooted, or you're just wrong. Because the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, that tongue of fire, Luke emphasizes it, it rested on each and every one of them. They were, each and every one of them were given the gift to speak the language to whom they were sent. Each and every one of them. And you too are given the gifts that you need to speak the language to the people whom you are sent to. Right? And who are you sent to? Well, Jerusalem, that was where they were. Think about where you are. The people you're familiar with. The places, the situations that you know best. You are sent to be a witness to those uh, people, to those situations. How is God sending you like that? um, Judea and Samaria, these are the areas just outside of Jerusalem. Think about, for you, the areas outside of your immediate comfort zone. The people at work who you kind of know, but not really quite so yet. The situations, the places where you go a little bit. How is Jesus sending you to be a witness for him there in those places? And then the ends of the earth. These are the places that are outside of the known area, right? These are places for us that we would never think God could make us um, his witnesses, that are outside of the things that we know or that we would imagine. Well, start imagining it. Where might God be sending you to be his witnesses? Because our faith together, our enjoyment of Jesus, this church together is about that, going out. That's the direction that Jesus set with his entire ministry, his entire life. It's the direction he set Right here when he said this, it's the direction that Pentecost sent the church. It's outward. And if we as a church or if you as an individual Christian um, are not willing to be part of that mission, if we keep it in for ourselves, if we hold on to Jesus tightly and don't share him with the world around, we, we are not the church that Jesus birthed at Pentecost. We are something else. And so the question that I want to ask you, and I'm going to invite the band to come up and uh, start to lead us. The question that I want to ask you is, are you willing to be a part of that movement? Are you willing to be a part of that mission? As a church together, are we willing to be a part of that mission? Are we willing to be a part of that movement? Are we willing to make decisions based on what's best, not just for us, but for the world around? Are you willing to open up your faith so that it's not just about you, but it's about the person who doesn't yet know Jesus? If not, we should go home. Otherwise, we should ask God's Spirit to empower us all over again. Otherwise, we should ask God's Spirit to transform us, to challenge us, to make us new. Otherwise, we should ask God's Spirit to open our eyes to see what we can't, and our ears to hear what we can't, and our hearts to beat for those who don't know Him yet, like we can't. Otherwise, we should ask God's Spirit to fall fresh on us. That's what we're going to ask for now.
Let's sing.